morning, Frontline Church. Good morning, family. It is such a privilege to be online with you this morning, live for the very first time. Welcome to everyone that has joined us today. We are so excited to be with you this morning. We are making history as a church today. We are coming to you live. Remember, this is not pre-recorded, so what you will experience this morning is just as real as what we are experiencing right here, right? No editing allowed when you're going live. No pressure to the team this morning. Everyone here greets you in the name of Jesus, and we are so expectant for what God is going to do in our midst right here and in your homes wherever you are this morning. So let that expectation rise up inside of you today because today is Pentecost Sunday, and we are trusting for a mighty move of God in this place and in our lives. If you believe that, you can give God a great shout of praise. Church, we've been fasting and praying over the past couple of weeks leading up to today because of the significance of what today means. And we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us today throughout the service. I'm going to begin with a word and then we're going to to flow in worship and in prayer and prophetic utterances as the Lord leads us. But whatever we do today, let it bring glory to our magnificent God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you today in the magnificent name of Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning that who is ever, whoever is listening, Lord, whether peace is flowing like a river, whether mighty waves are breaking over their hearts, Lord, that you would manifest yourself in such magnificence and such power, Lord, that we would never be the same again. Holy Spirit, we want to say that you could have your way in this place today. Come and have your way amongst us. You are welcome here today. It is our heart and expectation this morning that you would pour out your spirit on your sons and your daughters so that we would be transformed into the image of Christ and be the church that you've destined us to be. And Lord, as it was on the day of Pentecost over 2,000 years ago, we ask you to empower us so that we would have the boldness and the power of God as we spread the good news of the gospel in every sphere of society that we have influence in. Lord, I pray that as I undertake to present your word of truth today, that you would anoint my lips and the ears of those listening. Let your word be purifying upon your church and advance your mission in this world. I ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen Amen and Amen. Well, I'm excited to be with you this morning. I'm excited to bring you the word of God. Today is a very special day in the Christian calendar. The significance of Pentecost is huge for us as believers because Pentecost and the pouring out of God's Spirit represents the power of God in our lives to fulfill our calling to defeat the powers of darkness and to draw men unto God. And today, church, I want to talk to you about the power to love with. I want to talk to you about the power to love with. If you can recall, a couple of weeks back, I spoke to you about abiding in the love of God. That God is light and God is love. And as we start to walk in love, as we walk in His light, we become as He is in this world. It's about following God's royal law of loving one another. And if you start loving, if that becomes the motivation and the condition of your heart, God will give you the power to love with. You see, if you get that first aspect right, there's another dimension that accompanies that. It's the ability to help with power to relieve pain and suffering and bring healing. We're talking about love 
and power, right? Character and ability. The characteristics of God, which is essentially love and fruit of the Spirit, and the power of God to bring that all to fulfillment and to put that love into action. It's recorded in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, where it says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And why did Jesus do that? Because he loved people. He had a compassion and a heart for people and a love for people. And out of that love, there came an anointing upon his love. God anointed him with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good, helping people, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Church, it's very important to note this morning that the disciples were forbidden to preach the gospel until they were first baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I think that's important for us to understand because that mandate hasn't changed for the church today. Jesus says in Luke chapter 24 verse 49, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed or endured with power from on high. It's not like these disciples weren't born again because Jesus had come and breathed on them. But he says there's, there's something else. He said, go and wait until you are endured with power from on high. And that was the power to love with. And they were forbidden to preach the gospel until this happened. And church, we need to understand that we need, if we're going to preach the gospel and live the gospel, right, we need power. Because the gospel is not just in words. It's in deeds. It's in healing the sick. It's in casting out demons. It's bringing life where the enemy is trying to bring death. It's relieving the suffering of humanity. And you see, the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the power to love with. You see, it's not enough just to have compassion. This generation needs an understanding and needs a demonstration of the power of God. And that's what Pentecost was about. And so I want us to have a look at the Feast of Pentecost. The Israelites in the Old Testament were commanded to keep three main feasts. One was the Feast of Passover, which is recorded in Exodus chapter 12. And they were commanded to keep that forever. And then 50 days later after Passover, they were to keep another feast, which is known as the Feast of Pentecost. And then some five months after that, after Pentecost, they were to keep another feast, which was the Feast of Tabernacles. And the whole of Israel's worship and honoring of God was, was based and revolved around these three major events. The Feast of Passover, then the Feast of Pentecost, and later on in the year, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, most of Christianity is familiar with the Feast of Passover. Exodus chapter 12 tells us about the Feast of Passover that the Jewish calendar was reckoned or started from that day because it represented a new beginning for them. And when they would keep the Feast of Passover, which speaks of salvation, they were to take a lamb for each house. And that lamb was to be without spot. There were to be no blemishes on that lamb. That spoke of Jesus, of course, the Lamb of God who was without spot, without blemish, 
and without sin. And the lamb was killed and the blood was shed for the, the atonement of their sins. And there is great significance in that feast, church. But you see, that was not the end. They were to keep another feast, which was the feast of Pentecost. In the Old Testament, Pentecost was known in a number of different ways. It was known as the Feast of Weeks because they were to count so many weeks from Passover to Pentecost. It was also known as the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of the First Fruits. So Pentecost is a New Testament name. And the, the word Pentecost is the Greek word which very simply means 50 or 50th. Because they were to count 50 days from Passover to Pentecost. Right? And of course, when you understand that when Jesus died upon the cross... He died upon the cross right in the middle when the Jews were keeping the feast of Passover. And it was no coincidence. Right on the Passover when they were offering a lamb in their houses, according to Exodus, the lamb of God was being offered upon the cross. And the Bible says that he, he died for the sins of the world and he rose again. And it says for 40 days he appeared to his people. The Bible says specifically for 40 days he appeared to his disciples and his people. And after those 40 days, he was on the Mount of Olives and he said he's going to ascend into heaven. But he said to them, now go wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. And so they had to wait another 10 days, naturally, because that would make up the 50 days to get to Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And again at that exact same time when the Jewish people were holding that feast, the Feast of Pentecost or what they would call the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of First Fruits. At that exact time, the power came into the upper room and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the Bible tells us, church, that the Feast of Pentecost was a harvest feast. In Exodus chapter 23 verse 16 it says, And the Feast of Harvest, the first fruits of your labors which you have sown in the field. And it's very interesting because on the day of Pentecost, when they came into the upper room and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were clothed with power from on high, Peter went out and, and preached his first sermon. And it says in Acts chapter 2 verse 41, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. You see, it was a harvest that came into the kingdom of God. Right at the same time the Jewish people were celebrating the feast of harvest, or the first fruits of their labors, at that particular time in the calendar of Israel, where they were literally weeping, reaping the wheat in the barley harvest, at that time God poured out His Spirit and 3,000 souls came into the kingdom. God was reaping His harvest. Amen? And all these things lined up. And 3,000 people came into the kingdom of God on that first day. And it says they were also baptized in Acts chapter 4 a couple of chapters later it says many of those who heard the word believed 
and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So you're looking at about 10 to 15,000 people if you include women and children coming into the kingdom of God. And that's just two days later. And if you look at it again in the same context, in Acts chapter 5, verse 14, it says, And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And this is just within the first month of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it says multitudes of both men and women were added to the church. They were born again, right? Now, historians of that era will tell us that between 40 and 50,000 people came into the kingdom in those first few weeks. If you include men, women and children. Within a month of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Jerusalem was in chaos. Right? I mean, you had all these people swept into the kingdom of God in the small city of Jerusalem. And it even says a little late in the book of Acts that some of the old order priests, the Old Testament priests, were also swept into the kingdom of God. I mean, what a turnaround. Pentecost was a harvest feast and it produced a tremendous harvest. And as the modern day church, we need to see the fullness of that again. The church is in in need of that type of Pentecost because the world is in desperate need for the love of God and the power of God to convict them and set them free from the forces of darkness. And as Christians, you know, we need that anointing. We need that power from on high. We need that power to love with. You see, when God poured out His Spirit, church, great conviction came to the early church. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached his first sermon, it says in verse, Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 37, it says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. There was tremendous conviction. And you must remember that these were hard-hearted, hard-headed Jewish people that wanted nothing to do with this religion. They wanted nothing to do with this Jesus. As far as they were concerned, he was an imposter, Right? And all of a sudden, Peter gets up and he preaches one simple message and they were cut. They were deeply convicted to the heart. I mean, he could have probably, probably have preached that message backwards and they would have been cut to the heart, right? It was such great conviction. 3,000 people came under conviction. These are Jews. Jews, they're not Gentiles. These are people who are hardened against Christ and, and anything to do with Him as, as the Messiah. You see, that's what we need. We need a manifestation of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will create that level of conviction. That's the first thing we need, right? Where it will be so easy to get people saved because the conviction levels will be so great and the harvest will come into the church. The harvest will come in as it did in the early church. And secondly, the second manifestation of the Holy Spirit, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, on the church was that there was tremendous power released. There was great power. You know, it says that Peter, as he walked through the streets of Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 5, it says, And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. And church, we're not talking about a natural shadow from the sun here. But there was such an anointing upon him that people just caught within a a few feet of Peter 
in that power field that was radiating from him, they were healed. It was just a natural outflow of the Spirit of God. It was tremendous power. This is the way that the early church demonstrated the power of God. There's many examples. It tells us about Philip in in Acts chapter 8, where it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And listen to this, there was great joy in that city. Can you imagine for a moment, there's this guy. He's an unknown guy. He's just Philip. He's not an apostle. He's not not any of those things. Right? He's obviously experienced Pentecost and he was probably swept in very quickly with that initial 3,000 that came into the kingdom of God. And it says that God moved upon him and he went down into the city and began to preach Christ to them. And it says everyone in that city gave heed to what he said. But it says they gave heed because they saw the miracles which he did. Unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed. Church, can you just picture this for a moment? You take a trip down to the the Maggie Center just down the road from our church. Or you go to the Mall of the South. And someone gets up there and begins to preach Christ. And and half the people around you start manifesting demons. This is what happened. This is what was happening. Total cripples were healed and started to walk. People with all kinds of diseases were healed. And it says there was great joy in that city. Can you just imagine that? Another example is in Acts chapter 19 verse 10 where it says, Paul had been preaching at Ephesus for some time. And it says, this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. And when you look at a map in that area, you're talking about a million people in that region. And it says they all heard the word of the Lord. And you've got to remember, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have podcasts. They didn't have all the, or access to all the resources that we have today. But it says everyone in that region gave heed to what the Lord said. And the reason that happened was because God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. That even the handkerchiefs or aprons from his body was brought to the sick and the diseases left them, the evil spirits went, went out of them. You see, that was the power of Pentecost. That was, that's what the early church experienced. That's what they saw as the, the power of the Holy Spirit was manifest in their lives and through their giftings. And you see, church, if we're going to preach and live the gospel, it's not enough to do this unless you are able to demonstrate the love of God in signs, wonders, healings, and miracles. It has to be this way. Because this generation is not going to listen. It has to be the real thing. Because you know there's an explosion of every kind of philosophy out there. Everything through the whole New Age movement. All of the occult religions, right? 
There's all kinds of philosophies. There's so much out there and Christianity is just a, another one of them. That's all it is to the world unless there are signs, wonders, healings and miracles. Church, I was reading up on some of the old time healing evangelists and preachers that would go into foreign lands and preach the word of God for the very first time. They went into countries like Thailand, down through South America, Central America, Europe and Asia. And these healing evangelists moved in tremendous power of gifts of healing and gifts of miracles. And people saw amazing things begin to take place in those regions. And they were very bold. William Branham is a well-known evangelist of the 1940s and he was very bold in his faith. On one occasion, he was preaching in Russia back in the Cold War days, a Christian in a communist country. And his interpreter walked off the stage because he, was, he wasn't preaching a communist teaching, right? And he continued the rest of the message in pure Russian, speaking in tongues, preaching the gospel just like on the day of Pentecost, right? God was busy shaking things in the world. You had men like T.L. Osborne, we had a special way of taking control of a crowd and turning them to Jesus. He would preach the gospel to them. He would say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That he's the son of God and, and he's promised to heal you. And that if you come into the kingdom of God, God's salvation is healing and eternal life would be yours. Right? So he would preach the good news of the gospel. And then what he would do is he would go into the crowd and pick nine or ten totally blind people. Completely blind. And bring them up on the platform. Right? And then he'd say, he'd call all the witch doctors up and say, pray for these people. And he said to them, let's see whose God heals these people today. Kind of reminds me of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And so they would come up and they would pray and, and do all of their things. And a half an hour later, they were still standing there as blind as ever. Right? And so he would send them all down all the witch doctors down and then he would, he would tell the crowd, now, if my God heals these people today, what I've told you is the truth. And he would just go along the line, pray for each of them and they would all receive their sight. And I mean, when he had an altar call, there's no problem. Multitudes were swept into the kingdom of God, right? And you see, church, there was a great move of God in the church at that time. There was a manifestation of Pentecost. They were touching on that, but we haven't seen much of that since. We haven't had that kind of outpouring in the church since then. And I say this with reverence, but God wants to do it again. He wants to give the church another powerful Pentecost, particularly with signs, wonders, healings, and miracles. And it's not for us to determine how and when God must do this, but I think you'll agree with me, there's a great expectation in the church at the moment. We can sense that God is about to do something very significant. And so we've got to look at what does God require of us while we're waiting, while we're in preparation, while we are in anticipation. We've got to see what God requires of us. You know, when you read up on the great revival of 1948, which became known as the latter rain, you had some people operating with great power, but their lives were not sanctified to God. They worked out of gifts, but many of them fell into all kinds of sin. It wasn't because they weren't ministering in power, but rather because there was not a work of grace in their hearts. 
And you see, this is what God requires of us. He wants character before power. In this next move of the Spirit, He wants love and power. He wants to give us the power to love with. Character and power. And church, when we speak about character, there are certain things, things that God wants to develop in us so that we can effectively carry His power. And I want to turn your attention to Isaiah chapter 58 for a few moments this morning because there is a fast that God is calling the end time church to participate in. And I'm going to read the whole chapter to you because it is really powerful and significant for the church today. It's going to take about two or three minutes, so just stay with me. Stay engaged. It says, Shout, a full-throated shout. Hold nothing back. A trumpet blast shout. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family Jacob with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship and love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? And love having me on their side. But they also complain. Why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Well, here's why. The bottom line in your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard. You fast, but at the same time, you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this is the kind of fast day I'm after? A day to show off humility? To put on a pious long face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that fasting a fast day that I, God, would like? This is the kind of fast day I'm after. To break the chains of injustice. To get rid of exploitation in the workplace. Free the oppressed. Cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry. Inviting the homeless poor into your homes. Putting clothes onto the shivering ill-clad. Being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on. And your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and I'll say, here I am. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins, if you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lies will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lies will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I will give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. You will be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build a new. Rebuild the foundations out of your past. Listen to this church. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Other translations say you'll be a restorer of the breaches. You'll restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. If you watch your step on the Sabbath day and don't use my holy day for personal advantage, if you treat the Sabbath day as a day of joy, God's holy day as a celebration, if you honor it by refusing business as usual, making money, running here and there, then you'll be free to enjoy God. 
Oh, I'll make you ride high and soar above it all. I'll make you feast on the inheritance of your ancestor, Jacob. Yes, God says so. God says, this is the fast that I've chosen. This is the fast that I've chosen for this generation to enter into. And you know, it's not a fast for a certain amount of weeks or months. It's a fast that you go on for the rest of your life. But God says, if you do this, if you do this, you will be a restorer of the breaches. If you do this, I will give you the power to love with. And church, as I begin to close this morning, I want to make a few declarations over Frontline Church this morning. Is that okay? Can we do that? So let your expectation rise up inside of you this morning. I want to declare today that Frontline Church, which is you and I, will be a church that is known as the restorer of the breaches. I declare today that Frontline will be a people of love and power, a people on whom the Lord will pour out His Spirit because we do everything out of a motivation of love. Loving the Lord God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind and all our strength and loving our neighbors as ourselves. I declare today that we will be a church known to manifest the power of God in word and in deeds, in signs, wonders, healings and miracles and not so that we can boast about it but because it is a desire of our hearts to bring glory to God and for the world to see how magnificent our God is. I declare today that Frontline Church will be a people so filled with the love and power of God that we will be a catalyst of reconciliation in our nation, a restorer of the breaches in our society and in divided hearts because the only way we will truly come together as a nation is by the power of God. I declare today that Frontline Church will be a church of Jesus Christ and not of the systems of this world and stand for the whole Bible and its principles. I declare this all in the mighty name of Jesus the Christ. You can give God a great shout of praise right there. And church, I'm going to ask Pastor Ronald and Emmanuel to, to pray into this today as the Lord leads them during worship. There's no specific time for this. But I want you to really be expectant this morning for God to do something significant in your life. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to trust the Lord to begin a mighty work inside each and every one of us. We're going to pray for the Lord to clothe us with power from on high so that we can develop the character to hold the fullness of Pentecost. And church, it begins today. It begins today. Let's be expectant this morning, church. Even if you feel inadequate, you need to remember that the Spirit of God is not inadequate. And He can begin a work in you even right now. So let's trust the Holy Spirit to bring deep conviction in us this morning to the place of deep conversion. If you believe that this morning, you can give God a great shout of praise. We cannot do this without Him. Church, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's been such an awesome time in the presence of our Lord and so good to be with some people, even if we are socially distanced. But we just want to say, take what the Lord has impressed in your heart this morning. The Lord has begun a work in us. And church, we're excited for where God is taking us as a church. We want to say that you must have a, a blessed week further. We miss you, we love you, and we look forward to reconnecting again with you soon. Have a blessed Sunday. We love you very much.